You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. Welcome to the Future Net Zero podcast. I'm Stuart Bose. Today we're talking about heat. Well, not just heat, we're talking about heat networks because if you look at what's been happening uh, the last year or so, we've had a lot of policy announcements and the the uh, I, I hate the phrase, but they love it. People use it. The Cinderella of energy has always been heat. And the reason that it's been that way is because it's one of the toughest things to deal with. But the government set out a heat strategy last year. We are now facing a real, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a dilemma, but we're at a point where we decide how do we heat our offices, our factories and our homes? Do we continue to use gas? Would it be a mix of hydrogen? Do we start to use electricity? Do we go to heat pumps? And then what do we do with kind of the idea of society working together? You know, we've all seen the movies of America and, you know, the steam rising up. Well, that's because it's kind of, you know, district heating networks and the government's looking at all of that. So we're going to have a good chat about that, look through what we are. And we're, we're doing it with two experts from GemServe today. We've got Brendan and Samantha. Hi, guys. Hi, good Hello. afternoon. Uh, Brendan, do you want to uh, introduce yourself and your sort of formal job title so the audience gets an idea and where you are in sort of your specialism around heat? Sure. So my sort of current position at the moment uh, at GemService to to help us to deliver some of the, the major contracts that the government uh, launched over the last two to three years. And we've seen quite a lot of change in this area. It was an area that hadn't really received any attention, as you mentioned in your intro. Government started to focus on it a little bit more. We had the Heat Network Investment Program and more recently the Heat Network Efficiency Scheme, both policies GemServe are heavily involved with. And I helped to establish the HNIP scheme for GemServe and also more recently doing the same job to set up the very successful HSS demonstrator. More broadly, I also actually work, um, I do spend a lot of my time on hydrogen work too. And it's interesting that you should mention that in your intro too. It's it's one of those we're sort of in that moment now where we've got lots of competing technologies looking yeah. to provide solutions, um, and I can almost see the history repeating itself in a way that we saw with the offshore wind and natural gas and nuclear discussions we were having years ago. It's almost a repeat of that. So that's in a nutshell what I'm what I'm focused on at the moment. Brilliant, uh, and Sam. Thanks, Summit. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so I'm Samantha Shea. I'm the Head of Policy Insight and Engagement within the Low Carbon team at GemServe. I work, I guess, right the way across the uh, heat decarbonisation and energy efficiency space, but predominantly focus, I guess, similarly to, to Brendan on uh, district heating and also heat pumps. Um, so we've done quite a lot of work with the, the heat pump industry on the role that electrification will play in, in tackling the, the decarbonisation challenge. My, my background is, is predominantly policy um, and advocacy. Um, so I, I guess I'd reflect the comments that have uh, been made already around the fact that we're in a really, really important time now. We've seen quite a lot of announcements um, and commitments yeah. made by government. Um, so, yeah, really, really interesting time to be in this space. So let, let's talk about some of the stuff. I mean, what for the audience listening in, what, what would you say have been the major changes over the last sort of, say, five years we've seen in the market? So I think I think for me, one of the biggest changes is the increase in consumer awareness um, and public interest 
in the climate change debate. I think that's really started to push things forward. Um, I think there's still a long way to go, uh, even even if I do say that. But I do think that that's really changed things. Um, you know, if you think five years ago, if I'd have said to any of my friends or, or family that I was considering a heat pump, they they wouldn't know what that was or what that meant to them. And I, and I think over the last couple of years, we're starting to see that coming into conversations around uh, around some people's dinner tables or at least being shown on on mainstream news. Um, and we're seeing adverts as well out on um, on the TV. So I do think that that shift in in public engagement is is really really interesting. It's just awareness, you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I think that that has really changed things across across the whole sustainability agenda. Yeah, I think it it is really changing how. But I mean, have we seen more things? Because uh, do you know what would help is what what is a heat pump? Right. Well, explain what a heat pump is for an idiot like me, because we, we use these terms where right? people go, oh, I know what a boiler is. I know how it works. Oh, well, do you want to get a heat pump? And my builder said, well, I don't want to toss one of those. And I was like, what? Well, I think that's not good. But what, what exactly is it in a simple term? What does a heat pump do? So I guess it operates, it, uh, it provides heat to your home uh, in the same way as a gas boiler does. But it operates like a fridge in reverse. Right. So it takes the warm air from outside your house um, it upgrades it and then uses that to heat your your home your fridge does it the other way around where it takes the the cold air and pumps it out the the back so it it, it operates in a similar sort of way and, um, and, and in terms of when it's winter like now it still works does it yep. obviously it has to take in the air from the outside and that's pretty cold yeah yeah um i mean there's still there's still heat in the air even if it's not as as high as it would be in the summer months. They operate in negative figures. Um, there are heat pumps used widely across across Europe where they see much, much lower temperatures than we get in the UK. So I think it's one of the concerns that people have around heat pump technology, but um, yeah. it's a bit of a myth. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look across uh, the way that they're used in, you know, as, as Sam said, in cold climes and in Switzerland, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, you know they've been in use for for decades now, supporting decarbonisation of of heating homes and and space heating. They're a proven technology. It's it, it's 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 an interesting shift at the moment. It's a sort of a cultural shift almost. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you think about uh, the decades we've had in the UK of gas boilers and homes, uh, you know, people having control over their own units and systems within their homes, and there's almost a, 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 we've almost reached a point now where uh, we need to take a more community-based approach to these things. You know, heat networks serve large groups of people. You have less control over it. Uh, you know, you can't necessarily change the technology as easily. But there's a, there's a, there's wider benefits to adopting that new technology and that different way of obtaining heat. If you look at where we are right now, there was a lot of criticism the government neglect, neglected heat. I'll probably throw this to you, Sam, more than to Brendan, but... Is there a heat strategy? Because I read the documents and I looked at it, kind of said, well, we should do a bit of this, we should do that. And it was just at the beginning. We still haven't got a direction, right? So we could be putting hydrogen into our gas and we could be decarbonising our heat that way. We could be going, right, let's just build loads more heat networks. We could be going, let's go heat pumps. So looking at the strategy that was published last year, what does it actually? What does what it say? What what is our strategy? So I I think yeah yes we do have a strategy and the strategy is that um, there isn't a single solution 
to to tackle heating. I think it would have been very wrong to to have seen a heat strategy that promoted one specific technology or one solution. Um, so I, wouldn't, I think, that, wouldn't sorry, wouldn't that have given us all clarity? This is the way we're going. I think it would have given clarity, yes, um, but it might not have been the right the right solution for everybody. You know, everybody's homes are different. The way people engage with the energy system is different. The um, the availability of waste heat is really, really varied across across the country. Um, so we need to pick the right solutions for the right circumstances. And we need to be flexible about that. I really passionately believe that we can't have a, an energy system that is solely looking at hydrogen or solely looking at electrification or solely deploying district heating. It mm-hmm. has to be, it has to be dependent on those local circumstances. And I, and I think, I think the strategy sort of sets that out. I think, yes, there could have been, we could have been a bit stronger in places. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was as we had anticipated when, when it was released. Uh, so there weren't any big surprises, but actually in terms of a, a strategy, I think it's the right one. I, I would echo all of that. You know, if you, if you think about what was happening across the department at the time, they were working on several strategies, several yes. key strands yeah. to yeah. energy policy that would set the direction of travel for at least the next 10 to 15 years. They needed to complement each other. The hydrogen strategy came out last year too. Um, that was very important. They had to come out in a logical sequence and support each other. And, and Sam's point about different technologies, different horses for different courses is, is absolutely spot on. You, you know, if you can't imagine an energy system, an energy production system, for example, an electricity generation that was solely reliant on one particular technology. You need a range of solutions to, yeah. to provide that, that need. Okay. Let's talk about networks, heat networks themselves, all right? So what it, in simple terms, what is a heat network? I sort of talked about the movies in, in America and stuff like that, and my idea is it's kind of, I don't know, there's a lot of steam being pumped around. But, but what is a heat network? A heat network is effectively uh, an energy sensor, a heat source yeah. connected to a, range, a, a group of properties or, or, or commercial buildings or residential buildings. And you can, you can get that heat from a number of different technology types. The, the key feature is that it's, uh, you know, it, it's generally more efficient and, and you know, uh, much lower carbon, depending on the technology, of course, than, than traditional heating technology. And that's that, that you get that from the, the, the scale of the thing, the size of it. It's very scalable. Um, you can attach new heat loads to it, customers, different types of customers, uh, and you can grow the energy center, to, uh, you know, as your network grows. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting and useful technology in a built up urban environment with, uh, you know, lots of waste heat being produced and, and lots of demand for good quality heat. So would you say an example would be, I don't know, there's a, let's think about something. Let's, there's, a, there's a big factory and it's, it's making whatever it's making and it has some boilers or whatever it's doing and it's got lots of heat that's coming out of it. That, that is your heat centre that you then tap off? Is that yeah. what you're saying, or are you you're so, saying so, so? So some 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 of the um, some of the newer ideas are to gather or collect waste heat from example, for example, data centers, Google and Facebook, right? Data yeah. centers, and if you co-locate those data centers, uh, you know they usually are in urban environments. 
and you tap into that heat and you supply it to the local residents or commercial you know buildings or businesses around you got it it's, yeah it's super efficient and so the, the the saving here is basically because you're sharing the load yeah it's not all of us individually heating our offices or our our factories or our houses we're sharing the load so that one big heat source gives us the ability to have that's lower right. consumption across the board is that is that the, is that's that right. the theory? because yeah and you can you can tap into sources of heat that you wouldn't otherwise be able to access so a, another really interesting example is using mine workings uh-huh. so uh, using heat from disused mines to heat homes so we've we've seen a few examples of those recently being funded through uh, the heat networks investment project yeah we've also seen uh, sewage works being uh, used and the heat from the sewers being used to heat people's homes now there are questions I guess, around <laughs> whether people like the idea of that but you know it's a really really good heat source so there's um, a filter on the gas i don't mind yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um, but I, know, I mean look I've, i know there's a case we, we covered it which is heat from the tube okay yes. and, and i think mm-hmm. there was a project done in islington where you know the, the council worked with london underground and because we all know if you've been in the tube in london if you go down but the same in places like Newcastle, but wherever there's a big underground train system, you, you'll feel the heat, you know it. But it seems to me that these things involve a lot of infrastructure. You know, it's all very well that the, the sewage farm is there or the tube stations underneath or whatever it is. But how, you know, isn't there a massive cost in this to try and get pipes or whatever it is to go around the local housing? There, there is, there is. But again, if you look back to, to earlier examples of where we've taken steps interventions to to deal with a serious issue like this no one thinks about what the the price per megawatt hour of offshore wind was back um 20 years ago now now the price is is um you know it's it's uh, it's incredibly efficient um offshore wind you know you're guessing i i can't i can't be certain of exactly what the prices are but you know they've, they've dropped considerably there is a cost the financial costs and you know there yeah. is obviously a cost in terms of the need to dig things up and and put new pipes in and um you know the infrastructure required yes i mean these, these must be these must be the challenges they, they must be the big challenges aren't they they, they are the, big challenges but the, the bigger challenge is, is is climate change the bigger challenge is dealing with the mm. fallouts of not dealing with it what, what else would you see as the sort of barriers to heat networks apart from the basic infrastructure costs of say digging and putting pipes in what else are there uh, I mean, Sam will definitely be able to chip in here with with some stuff. But for me, it's a couple of the, the major barriers are customers not understanding them um, and, and not being the, the concept isn't as socialized, obviously, as a gas yeah. boiler. Yeah. And they're relatively, you know, they're relatively sparsely populated around the country. And as such, they haven't up until this point really been the focus for the regulator or for the government in terms of customer protection and you know performance standards and that sort of thing and that's changing now that Ofgem have been appointed as the heat the heat network regulator so we expect to see that uh, sort of tightening up a little bit some transition arrangements soon but those the two that you know it, it's looking after people and and making sure that we bring them along and there isn't a reason why they feel that they don't want to be living in a property served by a heat network I, I won't copy those those two uh, areas. I completely completely agree with you, Brendan. I guess the only other challenge that heat networks face, some of the older heat networks in the UK are quite inefficient. 
and that there's a need for us to start upgrading those those heat networks one so that they operate as efficiently as possible but two so that they can adopt low carbon heating in the future so a lot of them are gas fired um, as opposed to using a low carbon source so i think the government's really investing in that through the uh, heat network efficiency scheme um, so that's specifically set up to try and improve the efficiency of these older networks um, but then also through the green heat networks fund which will um, be launched later this year and that will allow heat networks to transition to lower carbon solutions um, and expand over time. So both of those together, I think, yeah. provide the the infrastructure improvements that we need to see if we are going to continue using this technology. Is it? Oh, I don't know if it's. Is it fair to say that this sounds a good solution for things we're going to build? Right. So you're going to build. You know, again in in London, there's a big development going on. We, again, we've got the story on Future Net Zero, where it's already being built, a housing plot with some commercial space being built as a heat network, right? So exactly what you said, there'll be a, a, a heat source and it'll be shared. Is this really a solution for our future build or can we do heat networks retrospectively? Can we retrofit? Because well, that's, that's the big thing, isn't yeah. it? I mean, we, we've, we've seen some really, really interesting projects in, in HNIP in, in exactly that type of scenario, small villages in... Cambridgeshire, I think it is. I probably got that wrong, but um, you know, and they've taken a very community-based engagement approach, bringing people along, identifying the right technology. I think that's that's one of a heat network's strength is there's a range of different types of technologies and heat sources that you can use and utilize to, to generate that heat or you know use that waste heat. The, you know, the HNIP policies help to unlock some of that spend, that capital spend. You know, many of these projects just couldn't quite get over the line. You know, as we see new networks being built out in areas that, you know, it, it treating existing uh, housing stock or, as you say, you know, retrofitting um, into into old buildings, you know, the cost of heat networks, will, heat networks will come down, the supply chain will improve, the UK's uh, skills and competencies in this area will increase. And uh, we'll find new innovative solutions to dealing with those hard to treat properties. Sam, anything you want to add on that? I guess focus on the the new build side of things. We are seeing heat networks being deployed in in new builds. Um, yeah. developments uh, a mixture of scales so uh, a lot of the time when we talk about heat networks we, we think sort of city-wide thousands of homes being connected yes. yeah um, but they do a heat network is anything that connects more than two buildings so you could um, have a small plot of so you could have a really really yeah. small plot and, and have five five properties connected on a small heat network so it, it works at a range of different scales as well which i think is really interesting i suppose one of the practical questions is uh, you know uh, years ago, I was looking for a flat, and it was a bit like that, where it was an old flat, but it, I didn't pay for my bill, but for heating because it was all part of a, it was all pumped around the building. And the question was, well, I like it hot, but my neighbour doesn't like it hot. Uh, how does it all work in terms of that? You know, the the joy of the boiler is that we are, as you said right at the beginning, but we can all be specific about what temperature we want. Is there a way of controlling the amount of output for heat networks? Is there a way of saying that actually I might be using less than my neighbor because I don't heat my house as much, but do I pay the same? These are all questions that are interesting. You know, if you're a factory and next door you're a, you're a really big heavy manufacturer and you need, or you've got fridges or whatever, you've got loads of energy demand, but then someone's just got a little office 
if you're sharing the same hit network, how do you make sure you're paying what you should pay or that you're at the right temperature for you? So, so this point, this talks back to Sam's points around the need to bring the older networks up to the newer standards. The technology is changing all of the time. Um, that scenario you described is typical of an older network, but you know, as we collect lots of data and we improve uh, the, the metering technology and the, uh, the, the controls that people have within their you know, individual apartments or, or homes, um, that, that type of scenario won't exist, but we do need to bring along the older networks and there's, there's thousands of them at, at different sizes and, and bring everybody up to that, that standard. And I think that's where Ofgem and, and GemServe and others who are operating the space can really make a difference and not forget about those, those older networks. Yeah. What are you guys doing? What's GemServe doing in this space? Yeah, we've obviously uh, you know, been running the, the Heat Network Investment Project for a while. We're, we've just uh, almost concluded that the HS demonstrates the heat network efficiency scheme. Uh, Sam and her team do a lot of thought leadership and, and, and uh, you know, uh, analysis. I, I, Sam, maybe you want to say a bit about that and I won't, I won't comment on that. Yeah, so we're working with, with the industry um, to help them understand what the, the policy and regulation means for, for them and also to help key market actors understand what uh, opportunities exist in the UK, but also across Europe as well in relation to, to heat networks. We work really closely with a number of trade associations as well in this space. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a busy, busy time in, in heat networks. And then I suppose more broadly to add to that, you know, we also do a lot of work, as Sam mentioned earlier, specifically on heat pumps. We do a lot of work in hydrogen and a lot of these technologies will need to, you know, will need to complement each other and work together oh, yeah. to, to, to get a, the outcome that we need. You know, we don't need to be um, sort of choosing one over the other. So we've got a, a very unique uh, set of skilled uh, people within our organization that can look across the whole piece and get a real feel for how to get that balance right and where, you know, where to put the right technologies to, to get the, the right, you know, the most efficient outcome. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's given me a lot of food for thought. Just to end with both of you. I mean, we are in, as you said, right at the beginning, we're in this real period of change. Everyone says this is the decade, you know, in fact, eight years. We're going to do it. If we want to get to zero by 2050, we're going to do a lot of the heavy lifting by 2030. Do you see in seven, eight, nine years time that most of us who are changing our boilers will change to a heat pump? Most of us in offices will be on heat networks. Or do you think it's going to be a much, much slower progression for that? Where, where do you see the future of heat networks going? I'll start with you, uh, Sam. I guess we've got to take into consideration the natural replacement cycles of the fossil fuel systems that are currently in people's homes. And yeah, that's normally about 10-year ten, ten so life, ten, isn't it? Yeah, ten, ten, life ten to 15 years, people hold on to their heating systems for a lot longer than they probably should so I do think we need something coming into play towards the end of the 2020s, mid 2020s, um, to actually drive that change at a faster rate than we would see otherwise. Um, so we've done quite a lot of work with the Sustainable Energy Association and with, with others around what that regulatory framework might look like um, and, and what might need to be introduced to actually accelerate that change. Because if we leave people to, to make that change, 
uh, at the rates they currently are, I don't think we'll hit the targets. So we do need something else in place, whether that's incentives or, or regulation. Yep, a lever. We need a lever yeah. from government, yeah. Brendan? So I, I would echo that. Um, at, a, at a broader level, I think we need to stay focused on the fact that we need different types of technologies and, and a lot of these solutions, whether it be a heat network or hydrogen or, or whatever it is, they each have a role to play. We need to remember that. Um, and I think it's very important that government as a whole takes a, a very joined up approach in this area because it isn't just a, a Bayes policy. It's, it, it touches on a lot of other areas of government. And so I think we'll have to stay very focused uh, the government needs to stay very focused and the different departments need to work closely together if we've got a chance of, of meeting our goals. Brilliant. Good point to end on. Brendan Murphy, Samantha Shay, thanks very much for joining us on Future Net Zero. Uh, if you've been interested in this and it's, it's piqued your interest, then have a look at the GemServe page on futurenetzero.com and you'll be able to link to find out much more information. Thanks very much for listening. This has been a Future Net Zero podcast. You have been listening to a Future Net Zero podcast along with our partner, GemServe. This has been a promoted podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.